Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Story time. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Siberian wind clawed at my face as I led my Navy SEAL team through the unforgiving wilderness. I'm Joe, the drummer from a local band back in Kansas. Not exactly the typical background for a Navy SEAL, but I'd always found the rhythm of chaos easier to navigate when I was laying down a beat. Now, I was marching to the drum of a classified mission in the heart of Siberia. Our intel pointed to a secret Russian base harboring something beyond our understanding, unknown radioactive predators. Parachuting into the frozen landscape, we hit the ground with precision. The cold Siberian air filled my lungs as I motioned for the team to move out. We were here to uncover the truth, no matter how deep it led. Silently, we moved through the shadows, eliminating guards with lethal efficiency. The base loomed ahead a foreboding structure in the desolate landscape. Once inside, the air grew thick with tension. We crept through dimly lit corridors, 
following the trail of classified experiments. As we delved deeper, we stumbled upon a scene from a nightmare. Scientists, faces contorted in fear, desperately trying to control a swirling mass of unknown chemical element. But control was slipping away. The room trembled with an otherworldly energy, and then it happened. The experiments went south. Horribly south. The room convulsed as creatures, looking like the rake, a cryptid but more monstrous, burst forth. Fangs glinting in the dim light, fur matted with the gore of their creators. Chaos erupted as the creatures tore through the scientists, leaving carnage in their wake. SEAL TEAM, ENGAGE. I barked, my drumming instincts taking over as I fired at the abominations. Bullets tore through the air, and the acrid smell of gunpowder mingled with the stench of death. The base became a battleground, a symphony of gunfire and guttural roars. Hours passed, and the creatures lay motionless, victims of our relentless assault. But victory tasted bitter as we realized something crucial, the chemical element we sought had vanished, stolen by an unseen group during the chaos. Disappointed didn't quite capture the sinking feeling in my gut. We called for evac, standing amidst the aftermath of a battle against nightmares. The Siberian wind carried whispers of secrets untold, leaving me to wonder just how deep the rabbit hole went. The rhythm of uncertainty echoed in my mind as the chopper blades cut through the frozen air, carrying us away from the heart of Siberian darkness. I lived in the Middle East serving on AMCM for about two years and that experience in general was decent. Not something I'd do again as I hate the backwards ask me with a passion, but I made my own fun. January 2013. In the Gulf underway one morning at 6, I am standing OOD, basically the person backseat driving the ship, responsible for safety of navigation. Captain comes up, sits in his chair, and asks if I want a coffee. Now, I wasn't going to turn down a chance to have a cup of coffee with the old man, of course I say yes. He calls down to the galley, they prepare a fresh batch and bring up a large decanter of coffee. They forgot to bring up a cup for me, so as captain is drinking his coffee, I do my patrol of the bridge, going out to the port bridge wing, scanning the horizon for new contacts or any unexpected changes in old ones. There's a few dows, no more or less than usual. I go out to the starboard side and same thing. Just your usual day in the Gulf. The only truly special thing about that day is that the Gulf is glass flat. It happens on rare occasions where the wind is blowing slowly and in the right direction to offset the natural current of the ocean. The Gulf is like a big protected harbor so there aren't ever any waves. The galley attendant, FSA is the technical name, brings up my mug and I park myself by captain's chair as the dawn glow starts to lighten the horizon. An hour passed as captain and I talk, and at about 715, after the sun is fully up he leaves. Not 10 minutes later, I start to see a change on the horizon. It's subtle at first, it just looks like the horizon in a certain area is bulging slightly, then noticeably, then I figure out what it is. A fog bank, which is unusual for the Gulf. I call captain to let him know the change in weather and he says something the lines of dam. It was such a beautiful morning too. I tell him I'm going to sound sound signals in accordance with the rules of the road when we get closer. The bridge team and I are watching this fog bank rapidly approach with a touch of apprehension. At the best of times dows are manageable but they always do wonky, stupid shit. In thick fog without visuals on them I'd be a lot more on edge. I'm going over what to pay attention to with my team, all the while the fog is growing on the horizon. The water is still flat. The gentle breeze acts as a calming effect. About 10 minutes after I first noticed the disturbance on the horizon, the fog is noticeably closer, and to my relatively inexperienced I'm moving far too quick than can be accounted for by the gentle breeze. I can now tell it is a literal wall of fog. From horizon to horizon in front of me, there is a thick gray line growing taller and closer. Sooner than I expect, it hits us. I've never experienced fog this thick. 
literal pea soup thickness. It's so thick that it is actually pouring into the bridge through the two side doors, so we close them. Now when you hit fog, the first thing a mariner does is start listening for noises and gauging distance. Someone with more experience would be able to tell how far something is by just looking. I was lacking in experience so I'd look for something in the fog, and then match it up with the radar contact to get the range. That wasn't even an option this time. The front part of the ship, forecastle, has disappeared. On AMCM, there is a spool for a variable depth sonar with 2-inch thick cable right in front of one of the windows. The fog was so thick I couldn't see the back half of that spool. I call the wardroom and tell the captain he should come up and see this. He asks if I hear anything, indicating the presence of other ships, to which I say no. He says he's going to finish eating and come up then. Ten minutes later, he comes up and by that time we can see the entirety of the forecastle. I tell him just how thick it is, he expresses disbelief, and my con confirms it. Captain sits in his chair and watches silently. The fog starts thinning quickly now, and in less than five minutes we're out of it. Captain moves to go downstairs when I stop him. I point to the horizon ahead of us at the slight bulge. Another wall of fog. I open the bridge wing doors and step outside. Behind us, the wall of fog extends out to the horizon on the starboard but on the port it seems to converge with the upcoming wall in front of us at some point over the horizon. Captain asks how long it took the last one to hit and I tell him 15 minutes. He harumps and sits in his chair. I've annoyed him by disturbing his breakfast. He gives me the silent treatment for the next 15 minutes. I start getting nervous that the wall of fog won't be as thick this time, that Captain will think my inexperience is causing me to be alarmist. Then it hits us, and the fog starts pouring into the bridge again, thick as pea soup. We can barely see the spool at all this time. We close the doors and ride it out. Captain says it's the thickest he's ever seen and thanks me for calling him up. He looks visibly less annoyed now. Over the course of 15 minutes the fog slowly gets less and less thick, and then seems to disappear in a hurry like it did before. I show Captain what I looked at on the horizon behind us before, how the starboard side was extending into the horizon, but the port side converged on a point, and as I was pointing I noticed another bulge on the horizon. Three more times that day the thick wall of fog rolled over us, too fast to be pushed by the wind. Three more times it was thick as pea soup, weakened so we could make out the entire forecastle then disappeared all in a hurry. I'm not religious, but my captain was. He said it was like God had splayed his hand out over the water that day and flattened the ocean for us. I've spent my life on the ocean in some manner or another, but I haven't experienced anything like that ever before or since. Maybe not what you're looking for, but it's true. I am in an Air Force and was stationed in Osan AB in South Korea in 2007-8. This wasn't me, but a friend of mine. Back then, during exercises, it was common for those of us in the QRVs, quick response vehicles, to hide in a local HAS, hardened aircraft shelter, during simulated attacks. It was common knowledge that there was one has, on Bravo Diamond, that you did not hide in. When I asked him why, he said they broke that rule once, because they couldn't find another has that was empty. So they squirreled themselves away, and during the next missile attack, they shut the doors and sealed themselves inside. Apparently, during the entire 90-minute attack and post-attack recon, they heard creepy noises, from random shuffling to voices. He swore he heard someone very clearly say please, no. The generally accepted cause for this was something of an urban legend. Apparently, during the Korean War, the pilots left the maintainers behind on the airbase that was about to get overrun. When captured by the North Koreans, they were tortured and hung by their necks with safety wire. And their spirit still supposedly inhabited that hangar. When I came back years later, the HAS in question was gone and a new building is currently being constructed where it once stood. 
While living in old military quarters on Fort Gordon, Georgia in the early 2000s my very young daughter would tell us about the red-eye boy who would talk to her while sitting up against the ceiling in the corner of her room. I dreaded going outside at night as I frequently felt as though something was following me around the perimeter of that house in the darkness. I've never felt that sensation of being hunted in any other place I've lived. While stationed in Pearl Harbor and finishing my rounds as CDO, I was returning to my office around 23 to pick up some folders. I knew the layout of the open floor plan so the only light on was in the very back of the floor. Halfway across the darkened floor, I heard what sound like an old typewriter and someone talking but not loud or clear enough to make out what was being said. All hairs went up and I was out the door. The next day, I was commenting about it to one of the aunties working in my department, and she mentioned that during the Pearl Harbor attack one of the secretaries working on that floor was killed. To this day, the hair on the back of my neck still rises when I think back on it. The thing that convinced me to come forward with this information after all this time is that what I saw was light-colored. Anyone I told about it at the time made fun of me because they said they were all black. It was at night in the summer of 1980. My husband was a farm worker and got off work very late. The grocery store would stay open all night, so once a month, we went into the grocery store when he got off work. We were coming back from the store, heading home, and the three kids were asleep in the back seat, and my husband was dozing off in the passenger seat. Because there had been so many deer out that year, I was driving rather slowly in case one ran out in front of me. I saw what I thought at first was a deer come from the brush and trees on the left side of the road. I slowed way down for it to cross in front of me. It was not a deer, though, it was a very large light reddish brown, very hairy man. When the car lights hit his eyes, it made him blinded like it does deer, and he stopped in front of me and shielded his eyes. His eyes did not shine red, like wild animals' eyes do. His skin was light brown or tan, and he had freckling on his hands and exposed areas around his eyes. I know he was male because I could see his male parts in the lights from the car. He was right there, looking face to face with me. I stopped the car completely because I was afraid I would hit him. He got his bearings and turned and walked off the road. He did have a neck, but it was very short. The muscles in the top of his arms and shoulders were built up like a weightlifter's, and with the hair, it gave him the appearance of being humpbacked. I could see him through his hair because the lights were shining right through it. He was young and in good shape with well-developed muscles. Tall enough that his male parts were above the level of the Ford hood when he reached his arms up. He also had a smell about him, a very strong smell, like a man who has been hitchhiking for a few weeks and a dog mixed together. The smell stayed in the car for a while. I had the road vents open. I also remember that he had head hair that was long, that hung over his body hair, and what seemed like beard hair on his face that started up under his eyes and covered his nose, leaving out only his mouth. His teeth were brown, his nose full and wide, and his mouth had full lips with the hair growing up over them. I have had other distant sightings in the Oregon woods, as when I was young, I spent a lot of time there, but this was my only face-to-face. -face. I just sat there in amazement after he was gone. Then my husband woke up and asked why we were stopped. I tried to explain the whole experience, but I don't think he ever quite believed me. I left Oklahoma City with my two brothers. Bobby and Jimmy, and a friend named John in August of 1980 for the state of Oregon on a possible long-term stay. After a five-day drive, we came to the small town of Drain, where Jimmy had been a few years earlier with his ex-wife and child. After about three to four weeks, we got settled in, and everything was looking good for us. One early morning in October of 1980, I got up and asked my brother Jimmy if he knew of a place to go elk hunting. 
He told me that he had been to a place a few years ago just outside a small town called Yonkala, Oregon, about 20 miles south of Drain, Oregon, on Highway 99. So we took off to check out the area he told me about. We drove just on the south side of Yonkala about 2 to 3 miles and turned to the west on an old logging road. We went up the road for about 2 miles and came to a fork in the road. At that time, I asked Jimmy, do I go right or left? He told me it doesn't matter, so I turned right. The road ended at the top of a mountain about 2 more miles up. The road that turned left at the, Y, ended at the top of a mountain about 600 to 700 yards away to the left. Jimmy and I got out of the car for a nature call. After about 20 seconds, Jimmy told me to look over on the other mountain top, he saw something move. I looked, and I told him that I don't see anything. About 10 seconds later, Jimmy told me, look, I saw something move. I looked, and at that time, we saw a big black thing walking like a man. It walked over to the edge of the mountain in the direction of the road that went left at the, Y, in the road. It stood there for about 10 to 20 seconds before it walked back to where we first saw it start to walk. When it stopped, it turned and looked at us for about 30 seconds. Then it turned with its back to us, and that's when we saw the little one standing there beside it as they walked away from us over the mountain. The big one was about 6 to 7 feet tall and about 3 to 400 pounds. The small one was about 4 to 5 feet tall and about 100 pounds. After we got over the shock, Jimmy and I left and got down the, Y, in the road and saw a man on a horse. We stopped and asked the man if his horse was acting funny or if he saw anything strange. He pulled out a big gun and told us he was not worried about it. I think that the Bigfoot was looking at him when it walked over to the side of the mountain and looked down. We stopped in the town of Yonkala to get something to drink and told some of the people there, but they did not care to talk about it, so we left. This occurred in early December, 2011 at around 2 AM. In the morning. A friend and I were sitting in my bedroom hanging out whenever we both noticed something moving on my surveillance monitor. I had a camera pointed down my driveway so I could see whenever I had company drive up. When we both looked, I saw what appeared to be a large canine running on all fours and in mid-run this thing came up on its hind legs and continued running across my field and across my drive and into my brother's field on two legs. I was in shock and my friend immediately turned to me with her mouth wide open. I asked her, what did you just see? And she replied with well what did you see? I saw where this was going so I then asked her, how many legs was it running on? She replied, it was running on four but went to two. I then had a cold chill run through my body as I knew she saw what I had seen. I jumped up and grabbed my night vision scope I had recently purchased and ran to my front door with my friend behind me. I must admit I was hesitant to open that door for fear of it maybe standing there. So I opened the door while letting out a roar as to maybe shock it if it was there, but it wasn't. Hey, I didn't know. I cautiously walked out on my front porch and took the scope and scanned the front field. There was nothing to be seen nor do I know which direction it went in besides where I had seen it last. I waited until daybreak and went out to where it crossed my driveway and I found a paw print that was a good 12 by 12 inches. I was stunned. I just stood there looking back at the woods it had came from and looked south to where it was headed. I had no way to save the print and didn't think to take a picture at the time, nor was my camera recording at the time of the sighting either. From what I could see on camera, this thing was massive in its upper body. I can still remember seeing the muscles flexing and the muscularity in its upper back as it came to its full height. It was running in weeds that came to my waist but on all fours it was a good 2 feet above them and when it went to full height I would estimate it to be a good 8 foot tall. Due to the camera showing only B and W I didn't get to see its color but it was dark. Its head is something else that stands out as I could see the snout and its pointed ears which were laid back whenever it went to two legs. 
I am a R&D technician so I am trained to watch for details and even though this thing was moving fast, faster than any human, I was transfixed on its form and what I was seeing. It was headed south and into property that connects to the Stennis Space Center's buffer zone which is over a 100,000 acres of untouched and uninhabited acreage that was put aside for the Space Shuttle program in Hancock County, Mississippi since the mid-60s. So it has all the resources it needs in order to survive in those woods and to go undetected. I have always been an outdoors man but since that sighting, I will not go out in the woods without a gun on me now. I know for a fact I do not want to run into that thing up close. My encounter happened a few years ago, in South Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. Here in Louisiana, we call counties parishes, in case you didn't know. I was hunting deer or wild pigs one night, on a protection levee system that was built to protect the town from hurricane floodwaters. As I walked to where the levee turns off to the left, there was a canal woods that was about a 100 yards from some houses. To the left was a natural ridge that goes out, into swamps and marshes. Well, as I made that turn from the ridge of oak trees, I heard a growl. I thought it might have been a coyote or dog, so I walked slower. Then, I heard brush and a smaller sized tree shake and another growl. I shined my light in the direction of the sound and saw a pair of eyes that were reflecting an amber or yellow color. What surprised me was the fact that the brush was about six foot high and the eyes were about a foot above the brush. When I saw those eyes, I slowly backed up, while keeping my light on the thing. As I walked back to the turn, to head back to my truck, which was parked about three quarter of a mile away, it came out the woods. I lit the thing up with my light again. Now, I was probably 30 feet from it. I saw its whole body and face. The body was covered with black hair, with some brown mixed in. The hair was thickest around its head, neck, chest and upper back. It looked a lot like a lion's mane, but wasn't as pronounced, since all of the hair was the same color. It had pointy ears, with a little bit of hair coming off the points, making the ears seem a little longer. It stood on two legs, but the legs were weird and backwards-like. The arms were really long, longer than the legs. Its hands were like a mixture of human and bear, like really big raccoon front paws. It had paws, but it also had fingers. That's the only way to describe it. If you watch the movie, The Howling, you'll get an idea what this thing looked like. It's as if whoever made that movie knew something others didn't. Now. At this point, I was freaking out, so I pulled up my rifle. I hunt with a Romanian AK, with a camo paint job, I did myself. The way I was hunting wasn't exactly legal. That's why I took my Romanian AK. If I had to toss it, I wouldn't be out much money. The rounds I use are special rounds, made to hunt feral hogs. I've dropped deer and hogs with these rounds before. One shot and they're done. But back to the story. As I pulled my rifle up, to the ready, it growled and walked a few steps toward me. I fired a round right into its chest area. I knew I had hit it, because the creature took a step back. As it stepped back, I ran toward my truck. That's when it let out a loud growl and a howl like I had never heard before. I grew up hunting and fishing and thought I knew everything in the woods, but I hadn't heard anything like the sounds it made before. As I ran back to the truck, it stalked me, but kept its distance. As I got close to the well-lit area, where my truck was parked, by the town library and elementary school, it stopped following me. I tried to find anyone who may have had similar encounters in the area, but all I could find was old legends of the Rugarau, which is pronounced, Rugaru. I told my grandpa about what had happened, but told him it was a friend who had told me it happened to him. I also told him that it sounded like a crazy story to me. He told me when he was 17, in the same area, at night, hunting, he heard a howl like nothing he had ever heard before. He also told me that something had stalked him, as he ran home that night. He said he never saw what it was, but could hear it following him through the brush and swamps. That encounter has changed my life. 
My perception of what is real and what is not will never be the same again. I still haven't gotten over that night. I went back a few days after that incident and found two large dog tracks, as big as my hand. I wear a size LG glove. My German Shepherd hunting dog and I went early to hunt this morning at 5.45 am along the old abandoned railroad bridge that crosses the bayou close to my hometown of Crowley, Louisiana 70526, population 13,452. As it was early, there was a humid fog, and it was dark enough to not see anything. We walked slowly between the rails of this old set of rusty railroad tracks. Hunterbone stopped and looked ahead down the rails as if he heard or sensed something. With nothing in view, we continued along, only for Hunterbone to stop abruptly once again. What is it, boy? A raccoon? A rabbit? Suddenly, a huge, hairy dog-like creature came out of the fog down the rails, standing on its hind legs, upright. Oh, shoot. I was terrified and fearful and I raised my Remington 12 gauge to fire two rounds of buckshot over this wolf-like thing's head. Blam! Blam! The critter howled loudly and turned to run back up the rails, across the old bridge, and I could hear it as it snapped shrubbery and foliage in the distance. Hunterbone and I ran back towards the pickup, and I turned about 50 yards to fire two more rounds for insurance so we would make it home. As we got in the truck, we hauled Boggy fast back to the main road that leads to Crowley, Louisiana. As we pulled into an Exxon gas station, I saw a Louisiana state trooper and explained my ordeal to him. He said he has had hairy dog creatures run in front of his cruiser at night, and it disturbed him greatly, but that the thing always heads off into the woods or jumps off the road. Well, okay, I'm going home to chill out. Later, as I sat in my home, I tried to rationalize what the hell I just experienced and why. For one thing, after 25 years of bayou hunting, why the heck did I not ever hear of this creature? This experience will keep me from hunting alone in the future. It really rattled my chain, for certain, and I suggest if you are going to hunt here in the south of Louisiana by yourself, be better prepared. This took place in July 2013 in an area just outside of Ashford, Washington in the foothills of Mount Rainier. We were there on a campout with several other people. On Friday afternoon several of us went out on a hike, walking up an old grade road which was being overtaken by alder trees. Along this road, about 7 feet high, were twigs that were snapped all in the same direction and at the same height. This road came out to a clearing where on one side of the ravine was an old clearcut. There's a small creek that runs between the two hillsides. There was a fire trail that paralleled the clearcut along old growth timber which was the side we were on. Being the hunter that my boyfriend is he suggested that we come back up later that night to look for deer and elk. There were three of us that went back up there that evening, myself, my boyfriend, and another man. We were all dressed in camo. Being that the fire trail was clear of brush, we were able to make our way to the top without making a lot of noise. We settled in sitting facing the clear cut with the big timber at our back. It's about 9 PM there was a slight breeze coming from our left. It was still light. Being summer in Washington it stays lighter longer so we could see the hillside across from us. As we were sitting we could hear what sounded like rocks or boulders rolling in the creek below us. There are various sounds of sticks breaking. As darkness started a large military plane flew in from our left through the canyon, so low that we could have hit it with a slingshot. If this had anything to do with what was about to take place, I don't know. That was a strange coincidence. It is about 9.30 PM at this time. To our left, a deer came running into the clearcut and it was blowing air. We were downwind from it. By now it was close to dark so we were unable to see the deer but we could hear it moving across the clearcut in front of us which, on a straight line, would be approximately 125 yards away. As it was moving it was continually blowing. 
While we were watching and listening we could hear sticks breaking to the left and right of us. At our 10 direction was an ice blue light flash and another at our 4 direction. Chatter was heard in the 10 to 12 direction. While we were observing all of this the deer was ping-ponging back and forth across the clear-cut as though it was being controlled or quarreled. We figured there were four or five Sasquatch on the hillside attempting to catch this deer. The other man who was with us let out a loud howl. Immediately following his howl was a response from the clear-cut in the forward direction with a loud return howl and crashing into the bush. Then about 40 yards below us, along the creek, were three loud heavy stomps, and coming up the game trail about 20 yards from us was a large dark figure that seemed to be gliding. There was no sound and it moved very fast to our right. After this everything went quiet and the clear cut the deer ran off over the other side of the hill. We had the feeling that we had messed something up. We decided it was best we leave this area. We then came across two large footprints measuring 12 half inches and the other at 15 inches which we observed with a flashlight. We went back to our vantage point where we were the night before to discover these tracks were in the area of the chatter and the blue light. The following weekend my boyfriend, my daughter, and I went back to camp in the same area. That evening we hiked up to our vantage point that we sat at the weekend before looking through our binos. Our flagging ribbons were no longer on the trees. We had the feeling that we were being watched from behind. That was a very uneasy feeling. So we left the area. During the summer of 2022, I worked at a 24-hour convenience store in Buffalo, New York. My shift was from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. on the Niagara Thruway. We received a lot of drunks and druggies, as well as delivery and truck drivers. One night around 4 a.m., a bizarre-looking man entered the store, almost zombie-like. Tattered clothing, scarred face, and arms. He was breathing really weird with loud, crackling breath. He looked at me as soon as he walked in the door. I will never forget this guy's eyes. They were coal black. They were empty. A chill went up my spine. It makes me shudder just thinking about it. As he walked around the store, he made insane sounds and exaggerated motions that still haunt me. A few people walked in, took one look at this guy, and turned around and left. I finally had enough after about 20 minutes. I walked from around the counter and literally grabbed him by the belt and threw him out the door. I have no idea what this guy was but if zombies are real, then I had an actual encounter with one. I wanted to tell you something that happened in Santa Cruz, California where I was born and raised. I'm a kind of a night security person. It's my retirement job and it was two and a half years ago. I was there across the highway right outside of Santa Cruz Wilder Ranch State Park. It's about two miles north of Santa Cruz and the highway goes between two cliffs. It's kind of, you know, a mountain there and I was on one side peering over. I called my friend John because I said John, that whole night I felt like I was being watched, and sure enough over by the porta potty which is about 12 feet away there was this black figure in back of it, just peering at me and I said, John, I don't think I'm really imagining this, it could be a shadow but it wasn't and the porta potty started moving back and forth. Well, I just, I'm a prayer person, so I really started praying and this is about 3 in the morning. Everything's pitch black there. The next thing that happened was I looked across the highway and now this is a good, you know, distance away it's about maybe 150 feet away on the other cliff, and staring at me is this huge, it looked like a crow, very black, the wingspan, according to the mountain, was huge. It could have been altogether a 14 or 15 foot span between the two of them and red eyes, no beak. I called John again I said, John, I'm really creeped out. This thing is real and if it is real, it's going to. And it started to kind of wobble towards the edge of the cliff and I went, oh no, it's going to fly and it flew across the highway and I said, now, John, if this is real, there's going to be a shadow over my car because there were lights on the highway. 
Sure enough, the shadow was by my car and I said, this thing is real. This is tangible and it lands over by me, about 15 feet away in the field, turns and pivots, and starts walking towards me. Well, I'm a kind of weird person. I have a lot of chutzpah and I got angry, you know, mainly angry that it was, you know, trying to scare me and creep me out. So I got out of the car and I pointed at it and I said you have no right to do this to me. I said the blood of Jesus and I don't know whether it flew fast away but the next thing I knew, it wasn't there. So what happened was, I'll give you a little backstory. It was back in 2003. I would have been 15 or 16 at the time. It was in late fall. We were training for a high school cross-country team. So the guys that were with me, their names were Liam, Greg and Jeremy. And my father, Stephen, was the coach. What we would do was twice or three times a week, we'd go out and maybe go for long runs for cross-country training. So, after school, my dad drove us to Green Hill Provincial Park. It's kind of a woody area. There's not really much around. A few farms. We were gonna do some hill sprints up there. If anyone's familiar with the area, there's a spot where we'd stop for spring water. So we would. We stopped in there and got some spring water, did some warm-ups, and ran up and down the wooded side of the hill. Then we went to the south side of the hill and ran up to the top. It's a little over a kilometer run. It's really really steep. Where this happened was on the east side of the hill. On the top of the hill of the provincial park, it has a really nice lookout. They say you used to be able to see most of the county from there when it was a fire tower. So we were up there. We just finished our run and this would be important later, I was the fastest. And then it was Liam, then Jeremy, then Greg. Not that he was slow, just that he was slower than us. That will come into play later. So we got up to the top of the hill. We had about a half an hour to kill. So my dad basically said, just go do something in the park. There's not much to do. There are some old picnic tables and a pond. So we decided we wanted to go to the east side of the hill which is very 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 steep. It is particularly wooded. If you look at it on Google Maps, it's small trees. Very steep. It leads down towards the area where the spring was. So we're not totally unfamiliar with it but we hadn't gone from the top all the way to the bottom on that side of the hill before so we thought that would be a good idea. We told dad, we're gonna head up the hill. He said okay you only got about 35 minutes. So, you know, it's pretty. It's gonna take a little bit of time to get down there. So we were like, oh, we'll be fine. We were winded from doing these hill sprints. A little tired. So we head down the hill. There's a bunch of 15 year old boys, being guys in the woods. But so steep at some points that we actually almost fell from tree to tree to get down the hill which was really treacherous on its own. It's late fall so it's slippery leaves on the ground and it's a little bit wet. On the way down, not a whole lot of anything happened. There were standard wood noises. We could hear a pair of dogs barking off in the distance. We assumed they were a pair of farmer's dogs or something like that. We get to the bottom of the hill and it's deathly silent. We get out on the road. There are no cars. No wind. The dogs have stopped barking. It's just deathly silent. And it was a little eerie. The first reason why we panicked was because we only had about 10 or 11 minutes to get back to the top of the hill. It had taken us 20 minutes to go down the hill so we assumed it would take a lot longer to get up the hill and my dad would freak. He's a pretty laid back guy but, you know, you try to hit your time. We didn't want him to get worried about us or anything like that. So we got to the bottom and it was to the point where we made a note of it. It had been normal wood noises all the way down, birds chirping, leaves rustling, and things like that and it was deathly silent and that was really weird. So we all kind of took stock of the time and we'll pick up the pace on the way up but we were tired. It was humid out. Like, it was one of the hot October days where it was wet and hot. And, so, we start heading back up the hill. 
I was in the front with Jeremy. We were just chatting. Liam was about 10 feet behind us. Or 10 meters behind us. And Greg was 10 meters behind him. So Greg is 20 meters behind me. And we're walking up the hill and it's deathly silent. No one is really talking that much because we're all out of breath and we're going up this hill. Again, it's the opposite of going down the hill, honestly. But when you're going up the hill, in some parts you have to hold onto a tree and pull yourself up and grab the next tree and pull yourself up. It was thick and very steep. I can't explain how steep it was. I can't exaggerate it. It was really steep. So we're there and we hear Greg call out from behind us. He goes, hey did you guys hear that? And it had been very quiet. And so we all stopped where we were. Nobody moved and we all kind of cocked our heads to the side and listened to what he had heard and none of us heard anything. We shrugged it off and we all turned to go back up the hill. We were maybe not quite a third of the way up when this happened. We didn't even get to take another step before Greg said, no, no, there it is again, listen. Listen. It sounds like a baby crying, which is an odd thing to say. So we all kinda pay attention. My first thought was that it was a rabbit caught in a snare or something like that because they have that weird wounded cry so you know, I thought maybe it was a rabbit caught in a snare out here in the woods. So we stopped to listen and Greg staring at us and we're all looking back down at him. And then we hear this tremendous roar. Like I won't try to make an impression of it because I would never do it justice. It didn't sound like a big cat, like a lynx or a cougar or anything like that. And it wasn't a bear and I know this because after, we went through all these things to try to figure out what it was and it didn't really fit the bill with any of them. What startled us wasn't the actual sound but how loud it was. It was so loud, you could feel it vibrating through your chest, like a bass at a concert. And it came from down the hill so as loud as it was to me. Greg was 20 meters closer to this noise. He looks up at us and his eyes go huge. And later on, after we all sat around and talked about it, my cousin Jeremy turned to me and he told me that all the color drained out my face. I turned very very pale. Before any of us could react, Liam sprinted up past us. Your first instinct is to fight or flee. This was kind of the flight option. We were running away from whatever this was. None of us could see anything. So we heard this noise and we all just started running. Some words may have been exchanged but I can never remember what was said probably something really cheesy like from an action film. But Liam sprinted ahead of us and he was jumping from tree to tree. Greg started sprinting and my cousin and I started running. Greg was so scared, he caught up 20 meters and passed us, he was going so fast. And then what happened was he slipped and he fell. I didn't see it. My cousin saw it. He gave me a tap on the shoulder as we were running and he said, Greg fell. And we looked back and Greg's tumbling head over heels, his feet flying everywhere. I can't say he ended up further down the hill than when he started but it seemed that way. I just looked him right in the eye and I remember saying, Greg fell. Greg's dead. And we left him. 100%. He never let us live it down. This was kinda like how scared we were. It wasn't like a funny thing, it was, we were running because we had no idea what was yelling at us and chasing us through the woods, up this already steep hill and we were already tired. So we're pretty much running on adrenaline so we abandoned Greg to whatever the noise was. We head up the hill and we get to the top. Liam gets up first. Jeremy and I come up almost together. We were all dirty and a little bit cut up from running through the underbrush and things like that. We were out of breath and sweaty. We all turned to look for Greg. My father didn't know what was happening other than the fact that I think we were almost late. So we came out of the woods and he said, is everybody okay? And then we looked back and he said, I heard somebody yell and I thought maybe somebody had twisted an ankle or he thought maybe broken a leg because of how guttural and loud the noise was. We didn't really say anything because we were still waiting for Greg or whatever made this noise to come out of the woods. So we stared back into the woods and then all of a sudden we heard some rustling and there was Greg. He comes out and he's got leaves in his hair and dirt and cut up. 
His eyes are still the size of grapefruits. He doesn't say anything. Dad kinda gives us a look and he said, what was the noise? We all looked at each other because we were surprised that he could hear it. The hill is so deep and so dense that if you walk 20 or 30 feet down the hill, and yell at the top of your lungs, the people at the top of the hill won't be able to hear you because the sound just bounces away from them. I don't know how the science behind it but you can't hear very well down the hill. We were not even halfway down the hill and he heard it clearly enough that he thought one of us got hurt he also said it sounded human enough that he would mistake it for one of us and he's a hunter, like a deer, moose the whole nine yards. He would recognize if it was a standard animal sound. He wouldn't mistake it for humans. He heard what I call a roar. He heard that. The noise that scared us, is what he heard up the hill. Because we didn't really say anything. We didn't really scream. We were too busy sucking wind trying to get up the hill. We didn't have a lot of breath to communicate other than to agree to leave Greg behind. There wasn't much that was said. My father gets confused because he knows he shouldn't have been able to hear it down the hill. Also, I'll add that we made it back on time. So we made it up the hill in half the time it took us to get down the hill just running on adrenaline. So we weren't actually late getting back. So he's standing there and you could actually see the wheels turning in his head. He's trying to figure it out and he goes, Oh, okay, you know what, there's this other group of teenagers that are kicking around here somewhere. Maybe a few years older than us. He goes they were probably just screwing with you guys. At the time we were like oh yeah, maybe that's what it was but as he's. As the words are leaving his mouth, the very group of teenagers he's talking about coming out of the side path that runs north to south so it's nowhere near the face of the hill that we were on and it goes out to this farmer's field that's 400 meters away or something like that and they are not connected and these kids are laughing and joking and there's no way they could have yelled from behind us and then got to the top of the hill and not been covered in sweat and exhausted or whatever. But they were just... They just came out of the side path and my dad kinda gives them a look and gives us a look and then nods and says everybody is gonna get in the van and start off back to town. We never really talked about it on the way back. Everybody just kinda watched the woods. You know, watched the trees go by as we drove home and so we never really talked about it until the next day and Greg was understandably a little upset at us the whole leaving him for dead thing but as we talked about it. We couldn't place the noise and as Greg made it up the hill he was pretty adamant that something was chasing us. It wasn't just like a warning yell. Whatever it was, we got out of the area and it was fine. He was pretty confident that something was chasing us. We all got the feeling. You know, you walk into your house and something's wrong, like the painting's twisted and you think oh there's somebody in the house. It's like that kind of sixth sense. Like something is chasing me and if we stop moving something bad is gonna happen. So we all got that feeling of being chased up that hill. For years and years, it will come up. We'll all start talking again. We'll do our own little research and stuff. We'll do research and we'll try to pin what we heard to what is available on the internet but we can never quite place it. We have for years maintained that ever since the incident more or less we maintained that it was a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot. From what we researched on the internet, it's actually really hard to find noise files for that. A lot of it is hoots and whistles but there was one someone found a few years ago that sounded extremely similar. It's like a human yelling. Imagine an angry, huge human screaming at you, like the mountain from the Game of Thrones or whatever. It wasn't human it was humanoid or whatever. You could mistake it for someone but it was so loud that and like there was this weird octave or something. It didn't quite strike you as being just a guy yelling or a person yelling. It was just something more about it. I can't quite put my finger on it. I never figured out what it was. When I was 13 maybe 14 we were up in the boundary waters west of Hovland, Minnesota about 100 miles south of the Canadian border, somewhere in there. It was me. My longtime good friend, who was basically cousin or brother kinda, and my older brother. We were staying at a cabin. It was my dad's buddy's cabin. 
A couple other people showed up and we were short on space so we decided we were going to sleep in my dad's pickup box. The cabin was built on a hillside going down to the lake and we were kinda off the road down to the cabin. So we were laying in the back of the truck, kinda like where the driveway would be for the cabin and it's all hillside on either side and it's all wooded trees right down to the road, thick teat trees. And, it was late, it was closer to 1 or 2 in the morning and we were just lying there talking, telling stories, trying to fall asleep. And it was really weird. We were just laying there looking up at the stars and up north you can see everything in the sky. It was like a small black dot started getting bigger and bigger and bigger in diameter until it basically blocked out all the stars and my brother's like, holy crap, do you see that? And I said, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, you know? My friend was like, oh, whatever, you know? Off to our left, it was crazy. It was a really weird high-pitched scream that actually can't explain what it was. It stayed for about two seconds and then stopped. Everybody kinda froze, stopped talking, like, what was that? And by the time we asked what was, it did it again. It was almost like it was touching the front passenger mirror in my dad's truck and at that point everybody was barreling inside, to get inside the cabin. I'm a pretty avid outdoorsman, I'm out quite a bit of time. I hunt, I fish and I've never heard that sound before. It wasn't an owl. It sounded like a bird kinda but it was really really high pitched. There's no one up there for miles. In 1999 I was working at Caledonia State Park in South Central Pennsylvania and got to know the back areas of it pretty well, the areas most tourists do not get to see. Approximately one mile from the park on a long all-dirt road was a large clearing in the woods which was cleared for power lines and gas well use. Once you got to that spot you would have to walk down a long hill until you came to an old abandoned trail. If you followed this trial it would take you deep into the forest. One day I followed it and found that it led to an old dilapidated cabin, not on the park cabin records, and it looked like it hadn't been used for many decades. Even though it was daylight I still got this creepy feeling like I shouldn't be there and worse, that something was watching every move I made. A few weeks later, while I was off duty, two of my friends and I were just out driving around enjoying the summer night, and since I knew all the back roads I was taking them on kind of a tour, note, none of these roads are off limits or secrets so I wasn't breaking any rules. Other than that mysterious cabin the park hasn't any secrets. About 11 p.m. I came to that familiar clearing and I mentioned something about the old cabin. Being a brave soul I talked them into letting me show them the cabin, so I grabbed my flashlight and we took off down the hill and onto the path that led to the cabin. I took the lead and we walked halfway when all of a sudden my light flashed on something on the right side of the path. Almost immediately I stopped and said, did you just see that to which they responded, see what? As I panned the light back to the right side of the road I said, that. There standing by a tree was a creature only seen in sci-fi movies. It had a grayish olive colored skin and was very thin in its extremities. The calves and forearm muscles were very large as well as the chest. The face was the strangest thing since it had the typical alien gray head shape but there was no mouth. It had a nose that was long and thin but not longer than its chin. The eyes had a reddish gleam in the light but not the size of most reported aliens. Very small even by human standards. I hate to make this reference for fear of questioning my sanity but my best description was like what the goons looked like in the Popeye cartoon. It leans oddly against the tree as if you were leaning on an armchair with only one arm. To make another TV show reference but like the fawns would lean on the jukebox on happy days, minus the legs being crossed. Immediately everyone wanted to leave but as we turned my flashlight went out. My friends told me to quit messing with them and turn the light back on to which I informed them that I wasn't messing with them and to keep moving now that I was at the back of the group. I frantically continued to beat on my flashlight trying to get it to work again. As soon as it came back on I immediately swiveled back around to shine it behind us. The creature had moved up significantly and now was on the left side. 
We hurried to the clearing and once we got back up the hill and to the main dirt road things got worse. Out of the woods we had just come through was this high-pitched blood-curdling screeching noise which, after it started, others started to answer back from the other side of the clearing. I had been in the woods all my life and had my degree from Penn State in wildlife management means I've heard a lot of noises in the wild, but I've never heard that sound before. I know it wasn't any kind of owl or bobcat, bear, bird, or porcupine. You get the drift. Months went by without incident, other than not being able to shake that I'm watching you feeling. I was to the point of feeling like I was being stalked. One night I went to get something from my truck when I looked into the woods and saw those reddish glowing eyes staring at me in the shadows. I immediately ran into the house and grabbed my biggest knife, I'm not a gun guy, to which my dad asked me what I was doing. I told him I was tired of feeling stalked and was going to face this thing. He told me he was coming with me, but all along I knew he never truly believed me or my encounter. When we got outside he nonchalantly asked, okay, where did you see this thing? And I pointed to the spot to which he directed his flashlight. Much to his disbelief there it was and as soon as the light hit it tore off deep into the woods. My dad, an ex-marine who served proudly during Vietnam, yelled at me to get back into the house with fear. Fear in his voice. To this day it still creeps me out telling this encounter and my hands shake even while typing while recalling it all. I am now in my 30s with a wife and kids, and we live not far from the state park. But even now, when I go outside at night, I still feel watched to the point that when I get a really strong feeling my wife won't let me leave the house without her. Just as a side note, for the first five years of our relationship, she too would catch sight of this creature, but mostly as it was going into the shadows. As a further note, if anyone is questioning it, there were no drugs or alcohol or any other substance involved during this or any other encounter I have had. Had something weird happen when I left work today around 4 am. There's one stretch of road I take home that's usually especially devoid of people at that time of night. It's a four-lane road with a turning lane down the middle. All that's on this road is a small airport on one side and essentially a swamp on the other. I turn onto this road, driving like normal, fully paying attention because sometimes deer like to jump out around there. It's completely empty no other cars in sight, totally straight road with no curves and in the best way I can describe it, a man just materialized out of thin air walking in the center turning lane about 10 feet ahead of me. There's no way on earth I wouldn't have seen him sooner what with my absurdly bright headlights and absolutely nothing else around. I didn't get a great look at him since he showed up so suddenly and by the time I even registered it in my brain I was already flying past him. All I could tell was it looked like a middle-aged or older black man with a red jacket on and he had maybe one of those wheeled suitcases or bag he was kind of dragging behind him. I hit the brakes and was looking for him in my mirrors because he was or very close to my car and I was scared it hit the guy or something. Did not see anything or anyone at all behind me. As fast as he appeared he was gone. I ended up pulling a U-turn because I wanted to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. Keep in mind Therese absolutely nowhere for this guy to have gone in the 30 seconds it took for me to slow down and turn around. On one side of the road Teresa fence around the airport runways and on the other is an empty gravel lot and a ditch. There was no man anywhere. Anyway either I lost my mind as I first thought or Therese ghost hitchhikers. We bought a new build apartment and moved in a year ago. We have two bedrooms and up until a month ago, our daughter, now two, has slept in a crib next to us. The ghost started touching my legs when in bed, when my daughter was sleeping next to the bed in her crib but never when my husband is in the same bed. I firstly brushed it off thinking that it was my husband coming in, and when finding his way towards his side, he touched me. But that never was the case, I was always alone and my baby was sleeping peacefully. One night he also slapped my feet. 
I bought sage and Palo Santo and have had two sessions when opening the windows, burning the sage and the Palo Santo while lighting a candle and kindly asking him to leave, saying this is my home and that he is unwanted. His visits seemed to calm down a bit after that. A month ago, we moved the crib into the guest room and my husband and I sleep in there every second night, and the other person sleeps alone in the haunted bedroom. And the ghost or spirit has now advanced. One night, he crawled on top of me, pressing me down so hard I had difficulties getting up. I got really scared and woke my husband up in our daughter's bedroom to change bed with him. I have researched sleep paralysis but I've never ever had this experience other than in this bedroom. This never happens when I sleep with my daughter in her room. And it has never happened in any other room, while traveling etc. It's only this specific room. Just the other night, I woke up from a very cold wind and this thing trying to forcefully peel off the sheets covering me. I felt like he wanted to get up close and kiss me with an ice cold breath. He definitely wanted to force himself on top of me, into the bed. Being alone, I screamed that he's not welcome here and that he must leave immediately. I left the bedroom and slept on the sofa. Tonight is my turn again to sleep alone and I'm actually scared. This guy means business and I'm determined to have him removed. But how can I go about doing this? I'm so annoyed to get woken up and I'm pissed off that I bought a really nice flat that's now tainted with bad energies. I initially thought this was an older soul, just confused that someone is in his space, but now he has advanced and is really forceful. I have bought some crystals and have placed them around the room. I haven't tried salting, some day don't, some say do, what's the correct way? Please note that I'm in my 40s and my mental health otherwise is very good. Help please.